Recorded December 22nd, 2016. This Agile Life. Ho, ho, ho. Episode 124. The 12 Days of Agile. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Agile Life, a podcast about what it's like to be agile in the real world. For tonight's episode, my name is Jason Tice, and I'm joined by one other very special host of This Agile Life, Mr. Craig Buchek. How you doing, Craig? Hey, Jason. Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, just getting over a cold, though, so I might sound a little bit under the weather. Really? Uh, but on the bright side, uh, tomorrow's my birthday, and two days after that is Christmas. Really? Well, happy birthday. Um, should we sing happy birthday to you? Uh, no. Happy birthday to Craig. That was a really short happy birthday. So uh, if Amos were here, I'm sure he would be playing his ukulele. So as as Craig mentioned, it is the holidays. It's 2016, and it's just Craig and I tonight since uh, – well, sorry – uh, sorry for everyone. John forgot about us, so um, you can give John some. John's too busy drinking the eggnog. But what Craig and I thought we could do, uh, <laughs> since I was, um, I'm known for having cheesy ideas. I said, well, you know, what about the like the twelve days of Agile? And then Craig said, well, you know, okay, that's a little too cheesy, but there are twelve principles of Agile. So, so what we thought was we would uh, have a little refresher here and go back to the twelve principles and go over them and I think talk about maybe what they mean to us and maybe some recent insights we've had as we reflect upon them. So with that, we bring you our our 12 principles of Agile for the holidays of 2016. So Craig, you want to get us started? All right. Uh, so uh, if you want to follow along, you can pull up agilemanifesto.org and click on the link, the first link, 12 Principles of Agile Software. So uh, principles behind the Agile Manifesto. We follow these principles. And the first principle is our highest value, our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. Okay, so on the first day of Agile, my practitioner said to me that statement. And Craig, we shall we shall satisfy the customer. Well, I was going to ask you, out of that statement, what word do you think we need to emphasize the most? Uh, customer. Well, yeah. hmm. There's a lot of important words in this sentence. Well, I'm curious. Uh, value, valuable. Valuable. Early, continuous. Well, Delivery, so, customer. So valuable is good because that emphasizes business value and this idea that we should be focusing on creation of software that provides business value all the time. Customer I like because that's saying that we're, we're collaborating with the customer. The word that you didn't mention that I want to emphasize is the word delivery because that's where I frankly see a lot of teams struggling 
teams that will do like scrum and they'll they'll demo to the product owner and then they'll do another sprint and they'll demo to the product owner again and they'll do another sprint and they'll demo to the product owner again and they actually very infrequently actually deliver the software to the customer and the end users they might do that maybe once or twice a, a year in some instances i've seen Ooh. Ouch. Yeah, I know. I know. And so I, I think what's interesting is when they when the group got together and wrote the manifesto, they emphasized the word delivery. And I would ask people to reflect just because you have a weekly demo to your product owner, do you then follow up and actually deliver the software to your end users? Because that's what was intended. But I know many people struggle to do that. I, I disagree with you that delivery is the, the major sticking point. Um, I, I usually find that the customer collaboration and just communication with the customer is usually where uh, teams are doing the worst. Um, you know, we, we respond to change pretty well. We write working software. Most teams, agile teams I've seen, do really pretty good at working software, depending on the definition of working, of course. If you don't have the customer there, how do you know if it's working for them? And we... we we focus on individuals' interactions pretty well, but we pretty much fall down on having the customer there and, and having that daily interaction with the customer. So uh, to me, this uh, customer focus is, I think, what we need to focus on and concentrate on, and, and we could do a better job on, I think. All right, so I figured out our format here finally, Craig. It took us a while since we just well, – this was an idea. We thought we'd do this live is we're going to read these and our, our, 12, our 12 days of Agile here is going to be the words out of each of these statements that you and I think are most important. So for the first one here, again, I want to emphasize delivery and you want to emphasize – you said customer and value, right? Yes. Actually, I think you said yeah, customer yeah. focus. Well, customer – well, focus isn't in there, but customer is the important word to customer. me in, okay. this, so, in this principle. So the game here is we have to pick one word out of each of these. So first one, word. I picked delivery and you picked customer. Okay. Okay. I'll write these down. Maybe when we get through all 12, we can make a word puzzle and we'll, we'll – uh, John will get the, we'll take the words, make a word puzzle and then put it on a t-shirt and all of our listeners can buy a This Agile Life 12 Days of Agile t-shirt with a word puzzle. How about that? I thought you were going to make him make a song out of it and sing it to the tune of 12 Days of Christmas. Well, that's his. that will be his, um, as we, uh, I have to say, Ooh. as we assert our dominance over John, that will be his, uh, his punishment uh, for failure to uh, present himself this evening. Uh, I got a better idea. He can just take our words and auto-tune it into the 12 Days of Christmas. Oh, that might be funny. So and that, it make a new, <laughs> it make, it make a new jingle. So and then and then maybe we we will uh, we'll have an edge against Ryan Ripley. We can we can have a, a hot trending track in iTunes to go along with Mr. Ripley's trending Agile for Humans podcast in iTunes. Okay, let's go on to the next one. So um, on the second day of Agile, my my Agile coaches and Scrum masters said to me. We welcome changing requirements, even late in development. Agile processes hardest change for the customer's competitive advantage. What is most important out of that? Hmm. Harnessing change. Change is mentioned uh, twice there. I think that's probably the thing that's most important. Um so this is kind of interesting. Like when, how late do you allow a change? Do you, 
do you typically allow a change after you've started on a, a story card or do you actually, if they want to change it, you finish that story card and then you work from what you've finished on that card. That's the way I usually work. Well, I, I think it, I think that actually brings out a really good point, Craig. That is for this to work there. I believe we're implying that your work units are small. <laughs> so if, if I have a story and on average, you can get your team can get a story done in say a day, which I know is something that John, mm-hmm. John, and yourself and and Lee. It's, it's kind of a pattern many of us prefer. Then it's like, okay, great, I can do that tomorrow. It changed, or I can even redo it tomorrow if something changes in the story I just finished. I think teams struggle with this, and I actually I know some teams right now that say, "Wow, I, once we want to set our goals for a sprint and stay locked in." And the reason why they're afraid of changes during a sprint is because their stories are like three or four days each, and so they get in there, and it's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! We we don't want to change anything because we we know we'll have to start all over again, and it's a larger story." So, so I think the key thing here that I wish this said is. I wish there was a mention here about keeping your stories small because I think that's the the piece that's missing that if you have small stories, it, it makes it easier to change. I, I, I have a comment on this in that I've been on a team or two where the changes were so fast and furious that – it was demoralizing to the team, actually, that, you know, we planned out a sprint, so maybe a week's worth of planning. And, you know, you're working on that week and you start on a card and then it pulled out from under you and you feel like you're not de- delivering value anymore. So there, there is a point where you can have too much changing requirements. So, um, But to me, that usually is either you can either set the rule that we're going to do a sprint which hopefully is only a week or two. And once it's in the sprint, you can't really do too much to change what's in the sprint. Or once you started on a story, you, that story gets done to completion. Um, those are the two rules that I've seen work the best. Can I ask you a question about your, your project where things changed? Yeah. Did you have like a vision in place? I mean, did you under, was there a business reason why things kept pivoting? Um, so, so I think that's probably happened in two teams. One probably had a decent vision. Um, well, it was probably earlier in the project where the vision wasn't quite so strong. Okay. Um, the other one was too many cooks. Basically there was actually three or four different managers that could put stuff into our queues and that no, no one really asserted themselves as, is the project manager or scrum master or whatever to decide, which one of those three or four managers got priority. So that was the problem in that one for sure. Okay. I was just curious because, again, a lot of the work that I do these days is really more on the business side, really working with the business to determine goals that then teams can work towards. And what and the reason we do that is we've observed that teams, have if they have goals in terms of like we're trying to build software to address these business needs, the team can stay focused and – you don't have those pivots, as you mentioned. So so what word do you think is most important out of this statement here? So we build our word puzzle. Uh, change. You have change. Okay. Why? Um, well, it's talking about changing requirements. Um, and say that that's a fact of and, life. And, and, and harnessing change. Yeah. I mean, one of my definitions of agile is embracing reality. And the reality is 
requirements are going to change. So how do you deal with that? And yeah. this is this is the way to deal with that. Well, and, and the word that I think is important, and it's funny, even in the holidays, it's interesting to bring it up, is welcome. Because I think this <laughs> is, well, again, I think we all laugh because we've all been on that team. We're like, oh. No, I like it. We're like, oh, gosh, here comes the product owner. Here comes the, you know, here comes the boss or the hippo. You got to change everything. We're like, go away. And what science has taught us is that the, you know, the nonverbal vibe you give off when you're kind of, I want to say, you don't engage somebody. You kind of, you know, tell them to, you know, leave. What's your body language? Yeah, well, that, that. Trust me, if you do that, that starts to impact how people view you and how much they trust you. And so it's like, okay, the product owner has to go talk to the team with a, a late breaking change that the business truly needs. The product owner, the yeah. team, the team makes the product owner feel guilty. And that starts to erode the trust between the product owner and the team or the team and the business. So I, I think yeah. the word welcome is important there to say, like you said, Craig, change is inevitable. It's why we focus on agile and we should you know, we shouldn't say no. We should say yes, we understand. And I hope that if we welcome it and we empathize both mutually between the product owner and the team, okay, we could change this, but we may need to then, you know, drop a story out of the sprint or something because we hadn't planned on that. So, yeah, I so I, I think that's an excellent choice. One problem that sometimes they have is that instead of a change, they want to add something to the sprint and not change the deadline or whatever you know that's that's a caveat i would put to that but yeah welcoming change is um you know embracing that reality that that we should be dealing with anyway well and to your point about about individuals interactions we we should be nice and welcome it so that way we have a good interaction but but also realize that it could have a, an emotional impact on the team. Yeah, I, I have a question. You you mentioned the you said the project manager, the boss, or the hippo. What 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 is the hippo exactly? So the hippo is what I would say the typically it's the highest paid person in the organization. So it's an acronym. So it's where you might you know a team may have a product owner or maybe like two or three product owners, but then there's the boss who comes to this like the sprint planning session, and after you've done all the planning for for like a sprint the hippo says hey you know what these are the five things you really need to do and what's interesting is uh, if you're working with a team and you have a hippo in play it, it helps to know that and i almost say you know what if the hippo is going to get involved like that or the boss called him that then don't groom the backlog or replenish the backlog unless that person is present because effectively they're acting like the product owner so or, well, they they over, they override anyone else in the room if they're there, and or they can come and wreak havoc because they weren't there, and then they come in and yeah. so so hippo is highest paid person in yeah, organization, highest paid person, yeah. And and again, the simple practice because actually I have a I have a team I'm working with now, and they 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 voice they feel they have a hippo scenario, and I kind of said I don't think so. I've seen worse, but but they it still it impacted them, and I said well the simple practice I've recommended for teams for a long time is when you have a like make a team charter, you write down on the piece of paper on the wall or on your wiki who are the people that like are responsible like who's on the team who, who's the product owner and you write those names down and if the hippo if the hippo says okay i want to be there and groom the backlog you put their name down and then you don't groom the backlog unless they're there and, and if you don't put their name down because you decide guess what we're just going to work with our product owner then you have a mechanism that the team could say no you're not 
you're not our source of truth for what we need to do. And and the reason why is because you're not up there on the charter. So so I encourage teams to think about that. And it's it's okay to say, listen, it's we appreciate your input, but you're not you're not our sponsor. So okay. All right, let's go on. How about that? All right. All right. On the third day of Christmas, my agile coach said to me, deliver working software frequently from a couple of weeks to a couple months with a preference for the shorter time scale. And who would your agile coach be that would say that? Uh, me, but a couple of months sounds really long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's almost Even a couple of weeks is is longer. Well, so what what have you seen? Um as far as iterations, assuming we have iterations and haven't gone to continuous flow, I've seen anywhere from as short as is is a week, which um, given meetings is and planning and everything is usually more like four days of actual work. Um, I've seen three weeks a bit. I don't know if I've seen a month anytime recently. See, it's funny. So I- that, that's encouraging. See, Craig, in my in my business these days, that that I know separately outside of this, um, we'll all bring it up. That sometimes Craig says, "I don't, I don't have a real business." It's a, it's a. Since I'm not necessarily a developer, I I tend to work more on the business, the business side, supporting developers. We've measured this a, a, across a variety of organizations this year, using the metric of the total amount invested per software release that goes out to users. And in enterprise companies, you'll be amazed that we've worked with several different organizations where their their investment per release is literally in the millions of dollars. And the reason why is they'll have multiple teams working on a product set that they release maybe two or three times a year. So they invest, again, over a million dollars U.S. before they get any true feedback from end users that that software works. I that would, doesn't surprise me. I'm not sure I'd call that agile. No, it's not. But what's funny is those are teams where, again, some of them are actually doing scaled agile, where you know the the teams are doing you know weekly demos. Not sure I'd call that agile. Well, they're using a framework <laughs> that has the agile word in its name. Oh, I would call it Agile. It, it might call itself Agile. Well, they're using a framework nonetheless. And so what I'm saying is I agree with this wholeheartedly. And it's amazing, trust me, when we've when we've started to measure this metric, which, again, it's the total cost invested per – I call it per actual release event. So because you're actually doing a release of your product out to users. And, again, large organizations, it's amazing when that number will hit a million dollars pretty quickly. And it's like – like wow, um, I hope you're getting feedback, and I hope you're making good decisions. So, I think my word that I want to emphasize in this one, I want to emphasize the word frequently. I wish there was a cost metric in this, but what I would say from the way we compute that metric, if you release more frequently. Your cost invested per release event is less, and that means your potential rework and your potential business loss is less if you if you need to change something. How about yourself, Craig? What do you want to focus on in this? I'm, I'm going to pick the word shorter, which sure. is sort of shorter. Short, shorter. It's short of. It's sort of. Uh, 
equivalent to frequently. Um, but I'm actually working on a agile presentation about making everything shorter, shorter iterations, shorter stories, shorter methods, shorter classes. Everything should be smaller that we do. We, we should try to make everything smaller because everything that we do that's long ends up being a mess. Yeah. Yeah, I would piss me. I would, there's a reason why I guess I have I have to go around and compute this release event cost metric because it's it's interesting. Um, but what I will share, if you are listening to us and you're in an organization where you're you're looking to build a case for change as to why you should maybe start to decouple some of some of the some of the ways you work together, and if you're working as part of a large program, maybe there's a way you could fork off and have a smaller subset of that program the um if you start to compute the cost for your release events and then you discuss the business risk associated with that much investment before you get feedback if it works or not the business will start to listen when you start having conversations where you've got again you've put a million dollars in the slot machine you're going to pull the lever and you're going to hope you're luck you get lucky so um i think craig and i would tell you it doesn't have to be that way uh but it does require some change all right should we go on Yep, your turn. Okay. All right, my turn. So number four. Oh, I get this one. Business people and developers must work together daily throughout the project. So do you work with developers daily? I actually do. Um, daily throughout the project. So it's not all day, but right now, um, again, the nature of my business, Craig, is we do we focus on the business side. We do ideation and collaborative activities to identify business goals that then teams work towards development to achieve to build software to achieve those goals. And many times there's questions that come up in that process. Um, there's a desire to get more specification about the goal. And so I get questions asked to me and, and we'll figure out either through myself or through product owners that I'm working with uh, how to provide that type of guidance to the team. I, I've had a lot of teams where I didn't work daily with business people, depending on, especially depending on your definition of business people. You know, if it's a product owner that you know, doesn't use the product or doesn't talk to the customers very often. Yeah, that that doesn't work out so well. Yeah, so I think my word out of this one is together, um, and I and that's where I really think uh, the there's an opportunity to. Because that's why I like I, I run an ideation business where we we say let's go have an ideation session, and even if we're like working on say we're working on the annual roadmap for like the goals that an application is going to work towards achieving over the course of like a calendar year. The developers have invaluable inputs to a business roadmapping session because they they understand, well, okay, I understand that's a business goal. When they look at the goals, they're like, well, maybe the fourth goal on the list, that's something that we can do very easily because of how the system's structured or how the APIs work. And they can provide that guidance to the business as the roadmap is prioritized. And, and where I think a lot of people go wrong when they do road mapping is it's exclusively a business-focused activity and you don't have that technical viewpoint where maybe if you try to put things in order, a technologist could give you guidance to say that if you bundle things together, you can get more for your money. So, so I think this is something we should try to do more of and, I'm, and I'm, I'm thankful that it was included in the original manifesto. But to your point, Craig, I think people lose track of it. Yeah. So what you're talking about, I see all the time where the the 
quote unquote requirements aren't requirements of what you need solved. It's here's the solution. Do do this for me. And you're losing so much money by not having your developers contribute to the solution. Yeah. And so to just to just implement your solution instead of coming up with a, a solution working in collaboration with them. Yeah, and and you said a key word there, Craig. I think we should draw to is requirements, and that is where. Puzzle me. I I believe strongly that like a team and a project needs a roadmap, but the way people go about making that roadmap, I think we you need to focus on fidelity, because a roadmap itself should be a very low fidelity item. Ideally, I coach people make your roadmap. It's a bunch of it's a bunch of post-its and Sharpie markers of very, very high-level statements. And then as you work down that roadmap and you achieve things, you know, you pull it out, you can pull a roadmap card off the, off the roadmap, and then you use that roadmap card to say, let's break it out into epics. And then as you prioritize the epics, then write stories. So the key thing is you you defer specifying the the, uh, the details until the last responsible moment, and that's when you can get the developers involved. So, but again, I agree with you, Craig. I see all, all too often the reason we get involved um, through the business I lead is people have focused too much on all the details up front without getting feedback from the developers. So speaking of developers, that was the word I was going to be greedy and and, uh. and pick the word developers, but I decided that that wasn't very useful. I'm going to pick business people instead. Business people, okay. Is that okay? It's not a word. I'll give it's you. It's not a word, but I can't see how to make either of those really useful. Well, <laughs> I'm cheating. We just, you can just put people in. People work here, right? So. Uh. Isn't that funny how they said business people and developers? Why didn't they say like business people and software people? <laughs> you know, and the, what's funny is uh, this is wrong too. I'm sorry. There are you mean people, the distinction between them? Well, no. There are people other than just business people and developers on a delivery team, right? You mean testers, documentation people, QA people? Yeah. I guess it's like, uh, designers. Designers, yeah. So, um, yeah. I so, think the developers encompasses everyone that's like implementing things. Uh, I'd also argue that um, a lot of developers have a lot of business sense as well. We don't. We don't ever give them credit for that, though. Yeah, well, no, I, I agree with you there too because they see they see the feedback, or they can go look at the they can go look at the analytics to see how the software is being used and how oh geez, like this evening I ordered pizza from a large pizza company and I was like oh that software didn't work too well so especially when I went to get a salad and I ordered a, I ordered two salads but I couldn't get different dressing on. Like I wanted Italians on one dress <laughs> on and I wanted balsamic and oh software don't do that. Oh no. So it was like, geez. Uh, so two people ordering salads would never want different salad dressings. What's wrong with you? Uh, yeah, anyway, so I was like, so plus my a developer would see that, but here's the last thing. So, yeah. so yeah. here we are talking we're, in a future episode. We're going to talk about Coach Camp that we had in St. Louis in 2016 because I still have, and if people were there, they might listen to us because I have, and I haven't looked at it since October. I have the feedback, but uh, for our friend Ryan Ripley who was at Coach Camp, we should. We, he and I were joking. We should just re, we were going to rewrite the manifesto at Coach Camp because if we did this, we should just change this one to say everyone should just mob program daily throughout the project. Right, because <laughs> if we do my program, you got that. You got the the product owners there, the developers are there, the QA's there, the designers there, and they're all looking at the uh, same screen, all working together, which is what this is supposed to be. So, 
So again, our words for number four here. I chose together, and Craig chose the business people. Day five. Yes, day five. So we will build projects hey, around hey, motive. My turn. Okay, your turn. Go ahead, Craig. I, I, I do the odd ones because I'm an odd one. Uh, build projects around motivated individuals. Give them the environment and support they need and trust them to get the job done. I think we're both going to pick the same word. Okay. I'll write my word down now. My word is written down. Have you written yours down? Or you could just say yours, okay? So say yours. Right. Mine's written. You can't see mine. So what is yours? Nope. My, my word is trust. My word is trust, too. Okay. I knew it. So why did you pick trust? Um, probably because I don't see enough of it, even though there should be more of it. Um, usually, uh, most of the people I see on teams are talented and should be trusted more, not less. Um, I, guess, I guess the second word I might have picked or you might have picked would have been motivated. Um, not individuals, because <laughs> we don't want a team of individuals. We're all working on their own. Um, but yeah. support and trust in, uh, are really important. Yeah, and and plus by I, I do plus by motivated was my um, my runner up, and uh, it's funny, Craig. You probably probably uh-huh. never heard of it, but once upon a time, I got a I had was I was thinking about this. So I built a game actually all about motivation for teams, as we did it at Agile twenty fourteen, and it's um it's sitting on the shelf over there, so we need to get off the shelf. But anyways, but my take on trust, I have a challenge for our listeners here. Because I think part of the reason we have trust issues between like teams and say their manager or the business is we exhibit as a community a lot of enabling behaviors to kind of create this trust issue. And what I'm saying is for all the teams that allow themselves to have a stand-up that deteriorates into a report to manager meeting – Here's what I did yesterday. Well, guess what? That is enabling this this environment of distrust because we're going there and we feel as though we have to justify our existence either at the team level or at the individual level every day in our stand-up. My challenge for people out there is to stop doing that. What do you think, yeah. Mike? That's also demotivating when you have a. Uh, I saw something. Someone complained about a twenty-six minute stand-up on average, and I, I think it was a team of five or six or something like that. I'm like, what? And, and I jokingly made the said that well, you should plank then instead of standing up, so that you know, because I can only plank maybe a minute if I'm lucky. And someone's like, well, that's ableist. I'm like, I was joking about that, but I've seen teams, you know, trying to do that. I don't know if that was a joke either. Well, it's interesting because we we just had our um, we had our Lean Kanban holiday party here in St. Louis. Uh, it's December 2016, and uh, as we were eating pizza and drinking our Kanban tini, I was just talking to a few people from a, a local company, and they told me their stand up for like a team of eight is almost an hour every day. <gasps> I know. Yeah, I probably had that. I probably had a 45 minute, half an hour, 45 minute with a team of ten, and it, and it was a status meeting. We didn't even stand up. It well, was it yeah. was a joke, and I'm like. Yeah, so the thing about a status meeting is there there's two things about it. One, look at the freaking board. The status is on every card. Yeah. Like so and and two, if you've got a question about a status on a card, go talk to that person, not not you know, status status should be either on the board or communicated on a per card basis with people that 
that have that information unless there's things the team needs to know. Stand up is about things that the whole team needs to know. Yeah, that's all it's about. Well, and so that's where, again, if you're listening to us, and you're one of these people that has one of these extended stand up meetings. And and I'm going to say again, if you if you are reporting status to your manager during stand up, you are enabling your manager to distrust you because you're reporting status, your manager or your scrum master, whoever, if they trust you, you do not need to report status. Okay. If anything, you should just report, Hey, I got a blocker. I need help. And that's it. And so I, I would encourage people to try that experiment. And if your manager, that says, well, why aren't you telling me what you're going on? I would suggest you engage them and say, well, why do you feel you need to know when just like Craig said, guess what? If they need to know project status or what's going on, we probably have tooling set up. So, um, and ask them to extend that trust to you to say, I want to go focus and do my work. If you need status, look at the board. If you have a specific question, ask me that question. But let's just let's have a five minute stand up in the morning and then let's get back to work. Yeah, I'd rather hear you say pass than I finished card one twenty three and I picked up card one twenty four. Yeah, and again, that's where I put. That's, that's 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 no value. Yeah, so and, here and, and demotivating. Yeah, I'll give that as a gift. I mean, if you've ever played the game, like the, I call it the stand up the stand up stumper game, which is where oh yeah, I finished card one twenty five. Hey Craig, do you know what that means? <laughs> yeah, I hate when we talk about card numbers. Well, you got to look at the board. Like, which one's that one? Oh, okay. But what I'm saying is that's a waste of time. There's no value of that communication because it's out of context. So if you're going to communicate, communicate something that people actually can comprehend and understand. Otherwise, just stop wasting people's time. So, okay, let's go to six. I'm going to now now I'm getting warmed up. It took took a few to get warmed up here. So, okay. Oh, speaking. Hey, hang on. Speaking of motivation, uh, is is motivational speaker like your backup career plan? Uh, no, no, I teach no. yoga. I teach okay. yoga. You know that. So but that's um, sort of that's sort of like motivational. Yeah, motivational. Weren't you like a personal? What's a uh, a personal life coach or something? Yeah, life that's coach. Sort of like, yeah. Well, we still do that. Yeah, that's so. sort of like a, a motivational speaker for like a one on one motivational speaker. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, let's go on. Speaking of um, speaking of conversations uh moving on to uh let's see here the most efficient and effective method of conveying information to and within the development team is face-to-face conversation so what do we think about this one um i'm ambivalent on this one actually really i think i think we've got some technologies now that that make distributed teams feasible and and when this was written i don't believe that was the case so i i still think like video conferencing face-to-face is important if you are not co-located yeah um but i don't i think you get like at least 90 percent just on a video chat is from from being in the same place. Yeah, and that's where I put, put I, I, the one I want to all draw it here. Since you said you're, in, does that mean you don't have? You're not going to pick a word for this? Since you said nothing resonated with you strongly, Craig. No, no, I'm just saying that I don't know that this one is held up the test of time. Um, if you buy face to face, you mean I mean actually in the same physical location? No, Pussy. Okay, so I got a couple things to say. The word I'm going to pick here, and, and it's 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 a hyphenated word, so I can pick it is face to face, because like you said, Craig, when they wrote the manifesto, we didn't have Skype, 
We didn't have Cisco telepresence. We didn't have um, Sokoko or whatever that thing is called. We have tools now that allow you, if you're distributed, you can have face-to-face conversation. So I'm amazed that I see teams that work in companies and that maybe are even on conference calls with me on a weekly basis, and they don't know how to get the video to work. So uh, (laughs) I'm serious. Uh, And this is where I'm like, listen, we have it. We've said on this podcast, learn how to make your gear work. So it sometimes takes a little bit of tweaking, a little bit of saying, oh, I need to go in the meeting room three minutes early to, to, to fire up the WebEx. But learn how to make your stuff work because it does let you collaborate face to face. And I'd also say that, yes, you can do effective face to face communication even as a distributed team. You may need to get some tools to do it, like, you know, for this podcast, we use microphones, we use headsets, so we don't have feedback issues. But again, figure it out as a group, make a commitment to saying that even though we're not all working in the same co-located space, we want to work together and make it happen. And when you do, it makes life better because it's like you're, trust me, it makes work more personable. All right, Craig, you need to pick a word now for this. So, All right. I was humming and hawing between effective, because I like that word a lot, and uh, team. I like team a lot. Um, what word did you pick? Did you pick face-to-face? You yeah. picked face-to-face. Yeah, I picked I'm face-to-face, gonna, yeah. I'm going to pick conversation, because I think conversation is sort of the point here. Like... It's not a conversation if you're not conveying information. Okay. What does let me ask you this. What is your definition of a conversation? My definition of a conversation. Um, two or more people um, ha- having a back and forth um, discussion. This is one of those things where you can't. You, you're going to use words that are synonyms, but that it's almost impossible. Isn't well, it? let me ask: uh, Slack chat or hip chat chat? Um, possibly, but they're not the best methods, as as this is saying. Yeah. Well, or what it should be is maybe you you use Slack or hip chat, and you you start you know talking about something, and you call time and say, hey, let's let's get on Skype or let's talk face to face, or let's do a turnaround. So I, I so I think I think the chat tools um, do fall into this, but there should be some face to face communication um, to have a healthy team. I, I'd almost say high bandwidth is almost more important than face to face. Okay. Um, I mean, the the bandwidth of text is much lower than than face to face or Skype or whatever. So I think that's the important is how much how much you can convey. And, and, and like I said before, the the nonverbal is important too. Yeah, but man, I could use emojis and I could use like t- uh, oh. I could use like iMessage effects now with iOS ten. You know, come on. Oh. Put a crown on while you're on uh, Google Hangouts. Yeah. yeah. Or how about a poop emoji? <laughs> well, that's always effective communication. Yeah, that's all you need to say. How was your day? <laughs> okay, so let's go on with the poop emoji in mind. So, so uh, let's see. You're number seven, Craig. So go ahead. All right. On the seventh day of Christmas, my agile coach said to me, "Working software is the primary measure of progress." Okay. Ooh, I got one. You ready? 
You want to do? What do you? What you got yours? I, I, I think I think we might have picked the same one because there's not that many words in here. Yeah, this is. Okay, you, oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. Now I think I'm gonna I'm gonna predict you're gonna say measure. Yes. I'm gonna say, pro- I'm gonna say progress. Okay, so I said uh-huh. measure. <laughs> yes. Uh, we all know why I said measure because uh, we need to measure. We need to measure more. We need to. Whoa, get- whoa, 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 wait, wait. No, it says you don't need to measure more. It says you just need to primarily measure the word whether you have working software or not. Well, let's talk about all the ways you can measure if the software is actually working. How about that? Okay, I'll buy that. Things like code quality, defect density, escaped defects, uh, block, you know, blocker clustering, uh, root cause analysis on the blockers. Uh, working software is the primary measure of progress. Progress denotes you're moving forward. So if I'm measuring that, I would love to see a cost of delay profile for different features in your backlog to see, ooh, if we don't get that feature done, what's the cost of delay of it? So measure, 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 measure. Okay. Progress, 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 progress. Yeah. So ah, I think I think progress is more important than measuring progress. Yes. Just just to be fair. Well, and also to, also I, what I agree and what's funny in my measurement riff there. Keep in mind, I, I talked about all the metrics or many of the metrics that I advocate for that are focused on the product and the software. I didn't actually didn't say anything about the team because you can measure happiness. You yeah. can measure teamy things. But I think what the what the manifesto is saying, and trust me, I've seen teams out there where they're, they are real good with their happiness metric and they track that, but they don't uh-huh. they don't have any kind of cost of delay profile or any code quality or anything. And I was like, well, guess what? Your measurement is not complete. And if you're just getting started, I would encourage you to say, focus on measuring the things that matter, which is about the software. And then if you need to, add in the happiness stuff. But more than likely, guess what? If you focus on measuring software or measuring uh, your delivery and you use that data to eliminate uh, impediments and blockers, you're probably going to be a pretty happy team. So so you might well, the, yeah yeah so that's why one of the reasons i think the the happiness metric is pretty good it's a pretty good proxy for a lot of things if you're not making progress your team knows that they're going to be demotivated and and, and sad and uh, but you know if, if i had to choose measuring or progress i'd pick progress any day yeah yeah okay well that was that was a fast one because i guess we, so we're learning there's a core in the spirit of measurement there is a correlation that the fewer words of one of these statements the faster we can get through it and i bet the fewer words in a user story it would have a shorter cycle time to deliver it what do you think greg i think a story should be just the right size not so, too long, not too short. Just right. It's like the three little the three little bears. It, it needs to be as long as it needs to be, no longer, no shorter. Because there are things that you do need to get down that sometimes require some details so you're not confused. All right, that's good. But 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 to generalize, yes, shorter is better. Shorter is better. And of course, coming soon to a conference near you, Craig Buchek will be talking about short things. All right, number eight. Agile processes promote sustainable development. The sponsors, developers, and users should be able to maintain a constant pace indefinitely. Where is Amos when we need him? Because what would he love to talk about right now? Uh, Sustainable pace? No, a certain Uh, word that starts with S. 40-hour work week? No, sprint. Oh. Oh, I'm the one. I'm I'm bigger against that word than Amos is. Really? Okay. Yeah. A sprint is not a sustainable pace. It is the opposite of a sustainable pace. Yes. Yes, I agree. Um, and that's where it puts way. 
who knows? Uh, I know what they were going for when they did scrum, but it's it is it, trust me. You do if you sprint, you do need to you do need to um you do need to recover. So I, I I've been on a team where they did a I guess they did a three week sprint or four. Actually, I think they were four or sometimes six, and then they took a week or two to recover. They literally took most of a week to recover and plan. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, I'm working with a team right now. Um, although, again, I'm on the business side, so I'm not directly involved with delivery. But the organization has a has a has a, a cadence where, like, let's plan for one week, develop for about two weeks, and then we effectively do hardening and final testing for another week, and they that's like a four week cycle. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So, I, li- I like that word cadence. It's not really in here, but it's sort of peripheral to to the idea a, a cadence i guess does it say it doesn't say pay oh constant pace a cadence yeah. and a pace are actually related um so I, I do like that yeah so what's your word um well they're sustainable there's maintain indefinitely i'm gonna i'm gonna go with with sustainable you know, sustain, okay. i want the word pace so what's your thoughts on sustainable? Just Well, sustainable means that you can that that you don't that that you don't burn yourself out really is um I and I've read something recently that um the original extreme programming uh one of their principles I think I think it was extreme programming. I don't think it was something that they debated for this the agile manifesto principles it, it actually didn't say sustainable pace it actually said 40 hour work week interesting interesting that's uh by that that's easier to measure since it's it's definitely uh, defined in um, absolute terms the word that i focused on was pace and what I – to me, that goes number one back to measurement because it means that if you understand your pace, I hope you're measuring. But I think it also goes back to like this idea of understanding how fast you're, you're going and using that to make smart decisions. So like – and also are you trending upwards or are you trending downwards? So like if I'm on a team and I and suppose we're a small team and we – we add a few more people. So we go from say like maybe four people to six people. We hypothesize that eventually we should be able to go a little faster. But if you add those people and guess what? Four weeks into it, you're going slower. Um, Maybe something's not right about something. It could be the people. It could be your, it could be the way your architecture is set up because it's hard to have a larger team because the code is tightly coupled, but there's something wrong. And you have to understand your pace to be able to assess that. Does that make sense? Or am I just going crazy here, Craig? Well, yeah. Um, Hopefully if you went from four to six people, you'd be 50% faster, but there's also the cost of the overhead cost of communication between all the extra yeah. uh, pairs of people. But the key thing so, about that is if, if you, uh, if the team understands its pace, they would be, yeah. they would be able to assess that. And, and I know I've seen groups in my career where you get, they add people. It's like, well, is it, we added people to the team because we went again. And a team should never be that big. A team, in my opinion, you know, it's what is it? Seven plus or minus two is the magic number they say. Uh, so a team really should never have more than ten people. Let's just call it that. 
and that group doesn't they don't feel if you ramp up to that we feel like we should be going fast we don't feel anything so well well it's the old adage adding uh people to a late project makes the project later yeah 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 so well it's too little too late so all right let's go on so we're back to an odd one so that's you you're up go for it all right on the what are we uh, ninth yes we're on the ninth um on the ninth day of Christmas, my agile coach said to me, continuous attention to technical excellence and good design enhances agility. Okay. Technical excellence. Technical excellence. Good design. Mm. Mm, lots of good words in here. I like continuous. We got attention. We got technical. We got excellence. We got design. We got agility. I think I, I think we'll throw agility out because that's what we're talking about. So yes, that's sort of the the, the topic. Um, I am I am not going to pick technical or excellence. I'm going to pick design. Woo, design. Okay, tell us why. Um. So, like, when I talk about TDD, test-first, test-driven development, um, TDD to me is about design and paying attention to design and refactoring is a lot about design. Um, Basically, design is, to me, is focusing on technical excellence or or having a goal or having a strategy um, to improve the way uh, to improve the code this yeah. is more about the code than than the way we work I think well or having some design um, but, but I, I like to focus on both of those yeah well or having some design principles like like we agree this is how we want to structure this type of code or we agree this is how we're going to format our APIs and we yep. do that so there's some consistency in, in our output so yeah, and and again, so uh, I I got to defer to you on this, but I have recently been involved in efforts where we're trying to consume APIs, uh, not necessarily build them, but consume them, and we're so we're consuming APIs from uh, a third party, and it's like wow, every API family has a different format. It's like what the <laughs> I'm serious. I'm ser- like and again, it's a large third party organization that has a lot of apis you can consume so you can probably guess who it is but yep, but again, a couple of those yeah i know but you think you think there'd be a little more commonality and how that works it's like oh that one doesn't work like that one geez so um yeah so i i i respect that craig and i value that that's something we need more of and it goes back to the communication because what's probably going on there is those that organization they probably have multiple dev teams and the dev teams simply aren't talking to each other nor are they doing any type of monitoring to look at the api signatures that they're putting out for consumption so well there's also the problem that once you release an api it's really hard to change it and fix it to make it better so like one of the apis might be newer and so it's going to have better ideas on how to do things yeah but uh, then the there's this is, then there's this evil thing though called Governance, ooh, where maybe before I turn my API on, it goes through a review or an automated review where I can be informed that, hey, you're not aligning to the standards. You should go well, fix it. It. It, it, it. it doesn't work that way. You're going to, you oh. know, we, we find that Agile works, you know, when we find things as we go. So, you know, you gain experience from the last API you wrote and, and you make the next one better. I agree um, with that. So. Uh, on the other hand, there are there there is one very important thing you can do to improve your API, and that is to write your API clients before you write the API servers, 
because then you you think about how the clients are using it instead of how the server is is providing it and when you do that you make it much nicer for your clients to work with and that's again that's tbd What's your uh, so yeah so you're, if you're doing TDD for your API, the, the, the test serves as the client. If you're just simply developing the API, mm-hmm. okay. My word that I want to focus on is continuous, and the reason why I think that's important it goes back to measurement from from uh, from numbers. Uh, was that you're numbers? just turning this whole episode into measurement, aren't you? You should know that, Craig. <laughs> Here's I think the problem is you see that a lot of times teams start and when life is simple and the world is good, we are we focus on technical excellence and we and we measure stuff and we look at our code quality spy, star chart and all that kind of stuff, and then when things get busy and the project picks up, we forget about that stuff and our code quality goes downhill. So I think the word continuous means that once you start doing something, you just shouldn't stop because you get busy. You've got to figure out how to automate it or how to simplify it so you can you can still get the benefit, but you can keep up with the other things that pop up. So I think your team's doing good if they were already measuring those things early in the in their in their team. Most teams aren't even measuring that until it, they think it might be a problem. Really, see, I've seen where teams start and when they're kind of again when the project just ramping up, you know, they again they like get the they get the sonar they get sonar up and running, they get the star graph working as part of the build and stuff, and they actually look at it in the retro to talk about the trends. And then when things get crazy, they never look at it. It's if anything, the data is there, and you can go back and run the historical trend and watch the code get bad. And it's like. It's we have three months of data that showed this was happening. Why didn't we take action? Oh, we were too busy. So it's continuous. <laughs> that's serious. funny. That's that's sort of like discipline only for when we're not having problems. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> I, I'm just pushing me things that as I again, it's interesting for for my for my view now. Where again, I'm not as close to teams as I used to be. So I see teams from a distance, and I tend to see teams. Uh, I'll see them when they start, and then I'll see them. It kind of. Either when something when there's a challenge or when they're done, and it's interesting to go back and say, "Oh, let's go look at your let's go look at your build server and let's run a let's run a a, um, a historical trend of your code quality over time and like watch it where it started good and the code base got bigger, 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 and then it got kind of out of control and just went downhill." And I'm like, "What happened?" And oh, we did. And literally so about two months ago, someone told me, "Oh, we 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 haven't looked at that graph in like uh, in like four months." And I'm like. Yeah, it's kind of obvious you haven't. So, so I think it's interesting that teams have that data at their disposal, but they're so busy they forget about it. So, all right. So we got three more, three more on our shopping list here for the holidays, and I'm up because we're at number ten, and I get to do the even ones. So, oh, simplicity, the art of maximizing the amount of work not done is essential. What word there? <laughs> I'm going to pick one and take it out of context, but it actually fills in for the whole thing. All right. Do you have it? Essential. essential. <laughs> okay. So even though it says simplicity is essential, but what's really essential is finding what's essential in the work to be done. Yeah. And what I appreciate about what you said, Craig, is to me, this is something I spend a lot of time working with these days is encouraging people to think. Like before we just uh-huh. – I'm serious. Just like literally before you open your mouth and start talking or you put your hands on the keyboard, like literally think. Let your brain work. Take some time. 
if you're Amos and you've had a few drinks, it takes a little more time. But give your give yourself the benefit of the of the doubt and think things through and you'll do better work. And I think these days we're just running around, we don't ever think about things and we make mistakes. So if we take a little more time, we think about it, I think you can keep things more simplistic. So I, I really value what you've said there. Yeah, I think I think it's Uncle Bob Martin that says Agile is not supposed to be an excuse to turn your brain off. Yeah, yeah. Well, and or again, some of one of the um, one of the the papers I read earlier this year was uh, published by the Institute for Workplace Safety, and they said that really right now they say that the level of the the level of safety in the American workplace is the lowest it has been in, in like five decades and it's because we're running around we're like on eight different like social media chat sites you know we're 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 multitasking we're you know we're doing all this crazy stuff and we're not thinking about our work and what people have said is going to happen is that someone's going to make a mistake you know there's going to be some type of a system failure that's going to have you know cause a catastrophe and it's simply because we're not being mindful about our work and we, we need to slow down and let our brains catch up so we can do good quality good quality work uh, okay i'm curious you, you work for a software company why, why are you looking at uh, workplace safety <laughs> Well, so again, my business that I lead, Craig, is I lead an innovation practice where we, you know, we do brainstorming and ideation and that kind of stuff. Where uh, really, the, what we're doing is we're we're giving people the gift of time to let them think and reflect and share and discover ideas, and in doing so, we're we're putting some of that mindfulness back into the workplace. Does that make sense? No. Do you have a customer that cares about workplace safety? Yeah. Yes, oh, I okay. actually have. I that, have. That's, that's enough said. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, ready for number eleven? Yes. Oh, hey, all right. I didn't get to do my word. Oh. Oh yeah, you didn't. I guess. No, my word is work. <laughs> Why'd you laugh? Because uh, I, I don't consider ideation as 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 work. Interesting. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what you do, and you can't ex- explain it like I'm five. So. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, the 11th day of Christmas, my Kanban board said to me, the best architectures, requirements, and designs emerge from self-organizing teams. Hmm. Well, best yeah. architectures. Uh, did I pick team yet? Nobody has picked team. Oh, wait. You know what? I'm going to pick Emerge. Ah, I agree with you. I picked it already. Emergent. Yes. It's usually the term we use there. Emergent design, emergent architecture. I believe um, uh, some of your colleagues have written uh, articles on emergent architecture. Yes. Or even emergent ideation is an emergent practice. I'll try to explain. Well, yeah, because it's like, hey, check it out. We had a brainstorming session. We wrote ideas on sticky notes here that are like simple. And then we used those sticky notes. We brainstormed. We prioritized them. We wrote some goals. We wrote some business hypotheses. And then we gave those same sticky notes with those ideas to the dev team so they could actually go build that stuff. So, And when they built it, they asked questions. And what I want to say, why I value this idea of the word emerge, is that we don't know all the details up front. 
So we have to say, let's just have some high-level ideas. Let's get started. Let's learn as we go. And the best output or the best work emerges from the collaboration of all of everyone involved. Yeah. So, I mean, emergent design, I think that's been around for quite a while. Emergent architecture is kind of hard to deal with. Um, but I think the the crazy one here is emergent requirements. That sounds crazy, but that's really how we work. You know, you, you give them a a minimum viable product and they take a look at it and like, Oh, we could really use this. And they didn't know that up front. They couldn't have known it up front until they saw, you know, some working code. And then, so some, some new requirements emerged from, from seeing a, a half done uh, product. Yeah. Well, and even in the, again, in the ideation space, Craig, emergence occurs when we you know you have a brainstorming session and then literally you put a look at the sticky notes on the wall and then you go to lunch and you come back and you look at this stuff you're like oh man now that my brain actually had a chance to digest that you you have a better idea and you start to focus and and again that iterative process is where we truly we we can be collaborative and the best ideas result so uh, so trust me it's the same thing on the business side as well Mm-hmm. All right, so we have the same word. We've had that a few times now. We've actually agreed two, two or three. Yeah, we'll have to put these on. I do, and I've written. Like, we will be sure to put all the words in the show notes, and of course, uh, we'll send uh, Mr. Sextro a little message and say he needs to make a new T-shirt with a word puzzle with all these things in it. So, all right. So, last one here is at regular intervals. The team reflects on how to become more effective, and then tunes and adjusts its behavior accordingly. So what you got? Mm, so this is retrospectives or yeah. reflections. Um, the word reflect is in there. Okay. Um, regular intervals, team reflects, more effective tunes and adjusts. Uh, two words stick out a lot. Effective and adjust. Okay. What you going with? I think I'll go with adjust because it's it's sort of the heart of agile. Uh, one one of my other uh, definitions, short definitions of agile, is just inspect and adjust. I, th- I think that's Dave Thomas's sort of new agility definition: is inspect and adjust. Yes, or our friends so, in the lean community would say inspect and adapt. They like the word adapt. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'll pick adjust, even though I love the word effective. Interesting. Can you guess what I picked? Uh, regular no no i picked the word behavior behavior i picked the word behavior yeah and the reason really? okay yeah the reason why i picked behavior is i think uh, a lot of times and including the sometimes i see where people try to fix something that is ultimately a behavior problem or a human behavior problem with technology and so i think what i appreciate about the use of the word behavior here is i i think we can say that's inherently referring to things that people do. And while we do need to think about our architecture and our code, which are covered by other aspects of the um, of the manifesto here, this is really saying that we also need to not forget about the people. And sometimes you can achieve better outcomes by fixing the people problems and not just focusing exclusively on the technology. Oh, Amos, Amos would say anything 
All projects fail because of people problems, not yeah. because of technology problems. Yeah, or I mean, I've been in, I've been in retros. Rec- I mean, I've had a chance to observe retros recently, where a, a team like was discussing their branching structure for like thirty minutes. But if you looked at the nonverbal expressions of everyone in the retro, it was very and and because no one wanted to be there. It was like the retro. You could tell everyone was like was like cross armed, like I hate this. And yet they're talking about their branching strategy, and I'm like, you know what? From your nonverbals, I think there's some more fundamental behavior issues that probably need to be discussed, but they weren't being discussed. So so I think that I would say that this would say that if you're having a retro, maybe it should be focused on human factors as much as it's focused on technical factors. Uh, uh, which is a little weird because in retros I've been involved in, we almost never talk about technical things. Really? Almost almost too much so uh, i've seen a couple times where um it's almost a taboo topic in pretty much every place i've worked and and sometimes you need to you do need to address those things um so i I find that interesting so i i've got a question a a really deep question about about your word behavior there okay go for it And, and it's and it's about how people get how people get agile. I'll just say how people get agile. Um, so, so how, think about how you got into agile yourself. Was it starting with the 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 manifesto and uh, buying into these uh, values or these principles, or was it trusting somebody um, that had already done agile? And you sort of just followed their behaviors until you started finding the value in it, and then later found the the principles and the values. Yeah, is that a, that's a question for me, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think my statement, Craig, I kind of wandered into. I, I took a practice based approach because I was worked at a company where I, some people started writing unit tests, and so I started writing unit tests with them because it made sense. We set up a build server because that was cool, and it ran our tests. We learned how mm-hmm. to take our unit tests and, and turn them into performance test suites using like tools like JMeter, and that made sense because then we could have automated performance performance tests without a lot of extra work. Then I changed jobs and went to a company where we actually worked in like team areas, which kind of just made sense because we could all talk about stuff. And, and what I'm saying is, so I, I was exposed to these practices without really without even knowing that there was an agile community at large because this was after the manifesto had been inked. But I just I hadn't even bumped into it in my career. I went to an official TDD course uh, that was taught and I said, oh, wow, OK, now I can write these unit tests before I write the code, which made a lot of sense um, because I had already bought into the value of unit te- of, of unit testing. And then eventually I said, I learned, oh, there's a community of people that do this stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. And I almost said, so what? Because I'm already doing this. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I, it, this, is, this is Dave Thomas's premise for Agile Z because at that point I said, yeah, so what? It's like I'm already doing this stuff. It makes sense. We're working together. We're, auto- we're automating things. We're getting fast feedback. We're trying to you know, get – work closely with the customer which made sense to me and and so i said you know it makes sense that we have we have principles and we have um we have you know training and we have scrum and and because that helps people learn but my story that i just told you i didn't ever go to any of that i just kind of learned the practices and they they made sense and so i just followed along 
How about yourself? Yeah, I, yeah pretty, pretty similar. Although, you know, I kind of did know, know, you know, the term agile as I was learning the things. But, you know, I, I trusted some people and I, I learned from them, whether it was reading or, uh, you know, some some demos or whatever. But I, I think we do a disservice when we assume that we need to pe- teach people the agile principles first and then, and then the behaviors. There's this weird thing that we think that people – behave a certain way because of what they believe when the beliefs and behaviors actually interact in both directions. And I think to, to really push Agile further, we, we need to stop. We, we need to focus on the, on the behaviors um, uh, primarily, um, which is kind of weird because you're like, okay, you should do this. And then people are like, well, why should we do it? Well, just do it and find out. You know, it's kind of weird. Or, or trust me or take this leap of faith. Well, the key thing I'll say, Craig, that and again, just kind of re- rehashing the story I just told, everything that where I learned and I applied like, an again, an agile practice, I did it because mm-hmm. it made my work easier. Yeah, yeah. So the, where I think, ah, where I think, which a, isn't which isn't what any of these principles or or values say. Well, but it did because again, I I wrote unit tests and it helped me find bugs. It meant I I my my code was better. Um, and then when I automated the unit test with the build server, um, it I got I. I got faster feedback and I could see if somebody else did something. So what we're saying is um, the fact where, where I think we are challenged. I know Ryan Ripley was tweeting about this recently about like scrum and scrum trainers is we, we need to keep our, our learning rooted in our work. So mm-hmm. if, if we're just out taking training courses and it's not relevant to what you're doing, you're not going to be motivated to apply anything you've learned. So, and in this case, I just observed people in my work environment writing tests, and I said, "Why are you doing that?" And they they said, "Well, it gives it, it makes it easier to test the code." I said, "Well, that sounds like a great idea. How do you do that?" And they, you know, kind of said, "Well, here's what you do." And I said, "Fine, I'll go do that because it made a lot of sense and it made my job easier." So. Um, I don't know how we I, how we get back to that, but that's that's what I think we need. Yeah, I think you put that really well. Like, the, if, screw the manifesto. It, it, this isn't why we're doing it. We're doing it because it makes our jobs easier. Let's 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 put it simply. Yeah, or we, fun. We do these agile principles because it makes our jobs easier and better. Yeah, and, and, more fun. and to be fair, I mean, there are people who are studying. People have stated, I, I think, you know, again, my experience was just kind of, who knows, I don't know if it's, I, I would love some feedback from our listeners if anyone else has had a similar experience. Because again, I, Craig, you're the same too, that none of us were really products of, you know, going to like certified scrum developer courses or certified, uh, there's all kinds of things you get certified in both on the process side and on the technical side. Uh, none of us have really done that. And yet we all kind of turned out uh, where we, we understand this stuff, which is, I think that now that the community has grown to the size that, that it's at, more and more people are coming in through the community, which is not necessarily rooted in work. It's more rooted in, hey, I want to go learn this new idea, which may or may not be directly relevant to what you do. So let's see what we got here. So we got – I guess we have 48 more – yes, sorry, 12, 12 times – so we have 24 words. So let's read the words down real quick, and then we'll uh, we'll close this out here. So, so do you, do you remember the words? So our first uh. our first principle we thought most important: delivery and customer. Then we had welcome change. Then we had frequency and shorter. 
Then we had together and business people. Then for number five, we had we both agreed on trust. Very important. For number six, we had face-to-face and conversation. And for number seven, we had measure and progress. We all know measure. Thank you. Number eight, we had pace and sustainable or sustainable pace. We could rearrange those words. Uh, Number nine, we had continuous and design. Uh, Ten, we had essential and work. Eleven, we both agreed on the word emerge. And twelve, we had adjust and behavior. So so those 24 words will soon be coming to a crossword puzzle that John will put on a T-shirt, and you'll be able to buy at thisagilelife.com. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? So That's interesting that we could actually put the two words together in almost every case and come up with like something better than the some of the parts. Yeah. Well, I'll share just to, to almost close this out. And this was an idea. We were just brainstorming tonight what to do. And I, it was kind of fun to do this. with uh, Craig, I appreciate your insights tonight. Thank you for sharing. Uh, there's an activity that's out there. It's called pocket size principles that I know many agile training courses do where you actually take the manifesto and working in groups, you, you compress each statement down to no more than three words. And so it's interesting. We did that tonight where instead of working in a group, we picked words individually. But to your point, Craig, if we put them together, we can almost achieve a very concise outcome of stuff that matters. So, like, yeah, yeah. adjust. I like the, we, adjust behavior. Adjust and sustainable behavior, pace. Sustainable pace. Uh, sustainable asc- pace wasn't even a phrase in in the principle either. Yeah. How about essential work? I like that one. Yeah, I like I like that one too. Yeah, continuous design. So this turned out pretty good. So yeah, we, yeah. Got some good ones here. So, and what I think is interesting, what I encourage people to do. Um, again, Craig and I always did this tonight. But if you are in a team, maybe as you as you go into 2017, the new year, maybe your team gets a little larger, maybe it gets a little smaller because, you know, budgets change, teams change, projects change. I would encourage you to sit down and maybe as a team over lunch or in a, in a team meeting, take 15, 20 minutes and why not talk through the manifesto as a team and kind of like Craig and I tonight did, we asked ourselves questions about what these words meant to each other. I would encourage you to do that as a team because you know what? You'll learn about the people you're working with, and you'll have an opportunity to kind of to kind of discover what agile experiences they have and how that could benefit your group. So, well, not just that, but like how you can apply these principles yeah. and remind yourself of these principles. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's sort of like church. You go to church regularly because you want to be reminded of you know these these good ideas or yeah. you know uh, to, to to do good things and be a good person. And if you're uh, looking. And Reminding yourself of that would be a good idea. Yeah. Well, and again, if you're looking for a New Year's resolution, um, you know, something that I see and that I encourage teams to do, and I think teams don't spend enough time doing, don't be afraid to invest some time to be a good team. You know, and that and that doesn't mean you go out and you do trust falls, okay? It means, you know, and it, and it doesn't mean go to happy hour and get drunk either. It means that have a yeah, – It might mean that. I don't know. Well, push my ah, if that's Some teams that is appropriate. Some of it isn't. If that's all you're doing, I encourage you in the new year to raise your game and give your team the benefit of some time to invest some time to become a better team and have a serious conversation about what these things mean. How do we trust each other? What do we need to do to trust each other more? That kind of stuff. So um, there's a huge payoff on that. And what's interesting is you might spend an hour or two not working on your code base. But that hour or two, that hour or two you spend investing to become a better team will help you improve your code and work together better. 
So, Craig, what'd you get out of tonight? Um, work, work together better. Work together <laughs> better. Work, yeah. and, and with that, as Mr. Ripley said at Coach Camp, we can make Agile great again. Woo! That's oh, a good idea. Yes, you should have come to Coach Camp. It was awesome. This week's hottest picks. Okay, Craig, it's time for picks. So, what you got this week? You got some holiday picks? Uh, nope, I've only got one pick. Oh, um, oh no! Come on, I don't Sa- have. I don't. I don't have an alcohol pick. I don't Santa, have a holiday pick. Santa didn't. Santa's only going to bring you one thing for the holidays this year. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. Um, I, I said at the beginning of the episode that um, I was born two days before Christmas, and um, so when I was two days old. Um, the hospital brought me to my mom wrapped up in a stocking and I got to take that stocking home and it was, you know, it was big enough to fit a baby. So it was, it was larger than your average stocking. And I had it for, for, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 years. And until the dog ate it because there was some candy in the stocking and the dog ate it and tore it all up. And that is so, it's so Christmas story. Uh, and then, and then my grandma had to make me a replica. So I think I still have that replica one still somewhere, but, but I don't hang that one anymore. Was it a Um, major award? It was not a major award. Was it, it was was it it fragile? it, It was pretty awesome though. Having, having a larger stocking that, I had when I was two days old. Awesome. Okay, so what's your pick? Your one and only pick. Um, so the pick is a short little article called Talks That Changed the Way I Think About Programming. Um, and uh, I forget, I think it was Alan Perlis said that a programming language is that a programming language that doesn't change the way you think about programming isn't worth learning. So this is related to that. Um, so we'll put a link to this article in the uh, show notes, uh, but I'll pull a few of them out. Um, Rich Hickey, Simple Made Easy. I was actually at that one. Um, it basically says simple is not the same as easy. And uh, if you've seen this, you'll remember he talks about um, complex versus um, uh, complicated. And he, he uses the word complex, which is kind of funny. Um uh, CPU. There's a uh, one by Scott Myers on CPU caches. Um, let's see the silver bullet syndrome. Where how the software industry is looking for silver bullets, and um, what programming is never about. The emphasis is programming should be on solving problems, not on the code itself. And here's one I really want to watch: why object-oriented programming is bad. So some good ones in here, I think, for probably everyone. Interesting. That, that's like um, uh, uh, Dave Thomas's new thing about how OO is like going out of style, huh? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm convinced yet, but and, we'll see. I don't know. I, he came to St. Louis and did that talk for a company, and I missed it, but uh, I heard it was good. So um, I think John was there. John could. We'll have to get John to talk about that uh, upcoming episode. So, okay, I got three. Um, first is just uh, is what I've already mentioned, which is as the new year begins, or whenever you happen to hear this, think about. 
investing some time to build to be a team. So think about how you share, how you talk, use something like the manifesto to develop a deeper understanding and connection to the people you work with. So um, that's that's a pick. Um, also, we'll put in the show notes. The second pick is this activity, which uh, which I did in retrospect was this thing was kind of related to uh, pocket sized principles. It's on Tasty Cupcakes, and it's a another way that you can review the Agile manifesto. And you could compress the principles down to three words working in groups. A little different than what Craig and I did. But uh, but again, it's a great way to have a conversation. And the last thing, since it's becoming my tradition, I always have to do a live event plug. So um, coming up in April 2017, we're going to be doing an innovation lab, innovation collaboration lab at the Agile Alliance Technical Conference, which is in Boston, Massachusetts, April 19th through April 21st. Um, uh, uh, 2017. Got to get used to the new year. And what the what we'll be doing in the innovation lab is we're going to have some some technical fo- some technical fireside chats. We'll talk about technical practices with people at the conference. We're going to have uh, a dev lab with mob programming and some code co- some coding katas and a bunch of other activities uh, that will be uh, crowdsourced. So it's a little bit of coach camp, a little bit of a. Uh, uh, coach camp, a little bit of coaching clinic, a little bit of open space, and lots of craziness thrown in. So come join us at the Agile Alliance Technical Conference in Boston in the Technical Innovation Lab. And of course, you'll be able to check out the great three-day program where there's lots of other great speakers who will be talking about Agile technical topics. So Craig, you got anything else to add for this this holiday episode of This Agile Life? Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays. Happy Holidays. Oh, I was, was going to say Happy Holidays, but now we got to say like Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, all the other things out there that people celebrate. So we hope you have a safe and happy holiday, and we appreciate you listening to This Agile Life. Um, if you haven't seen in our in our webpage, we have been nominated for a podcast award. So if you happen to hear this, if you can pop over to thisagilelife.com, follow the link and uh, vote us up uh, so we can uh, maybe see if we can win an award. That'd be awesome. It might even be this weekend. Um, major award a major award that will come in a big wood box that says fragile on it hopefully so and we can hang it in the front window of our little this agile life house so thanks for listening if you get a chance take a few minutes and send us some feedback on this episode or about the podcast altogether your feedback is important to us as we can use it to determine how we can improve we hope you have a happy and safe holiday and of course keep living this agile life This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.